Strange Brew Podcast Season 1, Episode 48, March Madness, man. It is so good. When it's good, there's nothing better. And we got three of four really entertaining games last night. We'll discuss that. Badgers NIT run rolls on. Badgers, the only Big Ten team still playing basketball. Those are just the facts, baby. The Packers standoff with the Jets continues as Packer fans got lectured by national pundits on social media all week. We will discuss that. Brewer baseball, we're less than a week away from opening day. We will get to just a teaser on some futures bets. We'll probably dive more into that on Monday. The Bucks start a tough two-game trip on the West Coast tonight. They have a three-game lead in the loss column for the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. We're getting close to playoff basketball. And could we see the return of an 80s and 90s icon? We'll talk about that coming up. Let's go. On the ground, a chance here. Durham to Hardy to first. It's time! Yes! The Brewers yes! win! Yes! Here comes Melvin to the 25, to the 20, Gordon 15, 10, 5, touchdown! Wisconsin, record-breaking run! Morgan, a smash up the middle, face hit the center! Here comes Gomez, around third, a throw, and the Brewers win! Here's the snap, he looks, he throws, it's and there is your Super Bowl dagger. Booker the drive gets inside, leads in, knocked away and stolen by Holiday. Phoenix has to foul, and a tentacle foul throws it down. Swinging fly ball in the right center. Broxton is there, and they're the champions. They have done it. It's been a 50-year journey. Wisconsin, we've got a room at the top of the world tonight. The Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions. Okay, I blogged about this on Thursday. There was a lot of conversation on Twitter and different iterations of social media that seemed to think that we may see the return of this franchise right here. What a difference. Remember that? You remember that? Oh, man, the nostalgia just hearing that ad. Apparently, somebody on Twitter said they randomly checked out the Blockbuster website. What would compel you to do that? I have no idea, but I'm not here to tell people how to live their lives. If you looked at the things that I look at on the internet on a day-to-day basis, you'd think, why are you wasting your time looking at that stuff? So it just seems odd that someone would be periodically checking in on the Blockbuster website, but it's not a blue checkmark person. I thought maybe if this person had a following and this was supposed to be a viral marketing campaign, Blockbuster maybe gets in touch with somebody that has thousands of followers or hundreds of thousands of followers and then they would say oh i accidentally typed in the blockbuster url and look what it says but the person whose tweet started to go viral has like 250 followers it's a regular person but they checked the blockbuster website and noticed that there has been an update there and the blockbuster website simply says with that old school blockbuster logo please be kind while we rewind And we've talked on the air a lot and a little bit on the podcast about how big 80s and 90s nostalgia is as people my age (laughs) try to cling to their favorite memories of 20 years ago. It feels like five years ago. If you could only go back. But uh, there's a big industry, I guess you'd call it a cottage industry right now. There always is for nostalgia, whatever generation is about my age in their 40s and probably getting to their 50s. And you're nostalgic for things that you had as a kid, as a teenager in college. One of those things from my childhood was video rental stores. In Sheboygan, we had two blockbusters, maybe three at its height. That might have been three. 
And we had at least one, probably two family videos, three in the county, I want to say. And way back in the day, and I'm going back to when I'm probably six or seven years old in the late 80s, early 90s now, we had one local video rental store called Preferred Video on Michigan Avenue, one of those little video rental stores from back in the day that just had one copy of everything. But the Blockbuster teaser seemed to get people my age, 80s and 90s kids, fired up for maybe coming back to a Friday or a Saturday night where you spend 10 or 15 or 20 minutes wandering around a video store. It was. It was a part of our night. That was a part of your Friday or Saturday night. If this was Friday, March 24th, 1998, and not 2023, I guarantee you me and my friends would be going to family video at 6.30 or 7 o'clock or whenever you were done eating dinner with your family, and you'd spend 20 minutes there wandering around. First of all, you'd step in and you'd be hit with that video rental store smell. There are stores that have certain smells. I'm not sure what it was, but every video rental store, it was the combination of old carpet and asbestos and cassette tape plastic or whatever, and candy, movie theater candy, popcorn. I don't know. It was a smell when you walked in. Subway has a smell. Blockbuster had a smell. Family Video has a smell. Home Depot has a smell. You would be hit with that, and then you'd make your way around the new releases. You'd step to your right. That would send you to the A block, and you'd go A to Z in a circle or semicircle around the entire store. And you'd pick up a cassette, and you'd read the back, and I don't know, maybe. If you had a maybe, you'd grab the cassette just in case somebody else came and snatched it. At least you'd have something if you didn't like anything from the other parts of the alphabet. And you'd make your way all the way around. And sometimes you'd go to the nearly new section, which were things that were about six or seven or eight months old. And you'd wander through there. And maybe there was something you didn't rent back then that you want to check out now or something you want to rewatch. And then you'd go through all just the regular stuff they had, which had some classic movies and some B-movies and movies you'd never heard of that maybe you laughed about that had a funny cover or a funny story on the back. And you think, oh, we'll rent this and make fun of it and watch this for two hours. It was a big part of how you spent your weekends. And then you'd go back there Sunday morning. I always loved going back to family video when I did return a video on time. I loved going to family video. You'd roll into that parking lot at 10 a.m. or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning, and it's all a bunch of bleary-eyed people making sure they got their videotape returned so they wouldn't get hit with a late fee the next time they were there. That was another thing, too, those late fees. I remember when my parents put me on the family video account or gave me their Blockbuster card. When they'd add you to their account, you'd get a Blockbuster card. I'm probably only two wallets removed from a wallet that had a Blockbuster card in it. Maybe even one wallet removed from that. But I remember that tense feeling of your mom and dad going and saying, oh, we're going to go rent a movie. And you know you're downstairs playing Sega Genesis, living my best life. And you just know there's going to be a late fee on there and they are not going to be happy. <laughs> there's a late fee on here. Oh, really? Shocking. But that was just a big part of the culture. And then as streaming services started to take over, as slowly things went by the wayside, and one by one the blockbusters were eliminated and the family videos were eliminated. Family video lasted in Sheboygan way longer than I thought it could, given that it only closed, I want to say, four or five years ago. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I want to say it was 2015, 2016. They hung on for a long, long time, a curiously long amount of time. But that was a lot of fun back in the day. But if they brought them back, I was just having a conversation about this with one of my buddies. Do you think there's enough 
excitement among people our age where if they did come back in big markets, I don't know if you'd see one ever come back in Sheboygan or smaller markets, but if you plopped a blockbuster down in Milwaukee or you plopped one down in Green Bay, would there be enough nostalgia that people my age probably would patronize it enough to make it worthwhile? And then I did have one good point on the blog I wrote about it. One of our listeners, Aaron, said a problem that you would run into is that they just don't make a lot of DVDs anymore. The movie companies don't make the amount of DVDs and Blu-rays they used to because you'd have in every rental store of the popular releases 30 or 40 copies of each one. And that was at every rental store. People just don't buy DVDs and Blu-rays enough probably to justify them printing or pressing that many of them. That would probably be an issue as well, a hurdle to clear if you ever did see video rental stores come back. But it just brought back that entire wave of nostalgia just thinking about Blockbuster Video coming back. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if it's a tease. We'll see if it's a streaming service. We'll see what it is. I have no I have no idea what they could possibly be teasing there other than maybe a comeback in bigger markets for a Blockbuster rental chain. If you do have a chance, ironically, on Netflix, <laughs> which, as many of you know, almost everyone knows, Blockbuster had the chance to buy out Netflix early in the iterations of Netflix where Netflix was still mailing out DVDs. Remember that? That first version of Netflix where you'd have to do a movie queue and they'd mail you a DVD and you'd watch the movie, then you'd sit there for a month and you'd finally mail it back and you'd get the next one on your queue or maybe that was sold out, you went to the next one on the queue. Well, in that time frame, Blockbuster could have bought out Netflix. They didn't do it, and now we know that Netflix is probably the number one reason or one of the number one reasons why there was the demise of video rental stores. Well, we'll see if it's an April Fool's thing or a streaming service or what it could possibly be. But just seeing that making its way around Twitter made me nostalgic for the, the late 90s, the mid to late 90s, early 2000s, all the time we spent renting videos and video games at those stores. All right, where do you want to start today? Standoff continues between the Packers and the Jets. Still no movement there. Got Gouda Kunst and who is the GM McDonald for the Jets just staring at each other like it's the Old West. It was a big week for lectures. Big week, Packer fans, to get lectured if you went on Twitter or Facebook. Because after the McAfee interview and Rodgers made his intentions clear that he wants to play and he wants to play for the Jets, I would say the reaction from Packers fans, and I can't speak for every Packer fan. I can try to. I can speak for myself. I would say if you broke it down percentage-wise, the reaction from Packers fans once he said, I'm playing and I want to play for the Jets, and that sets the wheels in motion for an eventual trade, and eventually Rodgers is going to likely end up in New York, and the Packers will get some sort of draft pick or player compensation, and Jordan Love will make a start in September, and we'll be on our way. But the reaction from Packers fans, I would say, was 70%, not excitement, but just ready. Ready to move on, ready to try something different, ready to try to win in a different way with a different quarterback, maybe with a different philosophy, running Matt LaFleur's offense the way it should be run, things like that. It was 70, 65 to 70% of people not throwing a parade that Aaron Rodgers was leaving. There was probably a little percentage of that 70% that were. But I would say the majority were just saying, you know what? It's time. It's time to move on. We've been banging our heads against the wall now for over a decade trying to win a second Super Bowl. Doesn't seem like it's going to happen. The opportunities have been there. They fumbled them away in 2014. Couldn't get it done in 2019 or 2020 or 2021. It's time. It's time to move on. There are 30%-ish, I would say, of Packer fans that are not excited for this, that are saying, 
Why would you cut ties with the four-time MVP? We're going to regret this if Jordan Love isn't the guy, and that 30 or 35% of Packer fans believe that Jordan Love is not going to be the guy and that we're going to have a bad year and we're going to watch Aaron Rodgers succeed in New York and we're going to be kicking ourselves saying, why would we have let a Hall of Fame quarterback just walk away when we could have squeezed another year or two or three or whatever out of him and given ourselves another chance at a Super Bowl run? About 30-ish percent of the fan base feels that, but the majority just ready to move on. Well, because that was the reaction, you saw a lot of the national pundits and probably the biggest viral video you saw was of KB Kyle Brandt, who used to fill in on the Jim Rome show. He's on NFL Network now, right? On their morning show, Good Morning Football, and maybe he has his own podcast. I'm sure he does. Everybody does. If I have one, if I have a podcast, I'm sure KB has a podcast. But that was the most viral of the lectures going around where he did about a five-minute rant. And he's a Bears fan where he did a five-minute rant about how you're going to regret this or be careful what you wish for. You're wishing Aaron Rodgers out of town and you may be wishing that he'd be back in town with the way things could play out this year and you don't know how good you've had it. And every other franchise has had to deal with these bad quarterbacks and bad quarterback play. And you've been blessed with these 30 years of great quarterbacks and you don't know what it's like. You don't know what it's like to wander through the wilderness. And on and on and on it went. And a lot of the national voices and a lot of other fans from different fan bases echoed those sentiments. To which I would respond, we're not idiots. We're not Packers fans. as a, We're not dummies. We don't just, you know, this isn't just the... Gosh, I like the Packers. I'd do anything for the Packers. We're not all just like that. And some of us are, and that's fine. But that doesn't mean that we don't recognize how good we've had it. Most Packer fans, even the 70% that are happy to move in a different direction... We all acknowledge, and more than acknowledge, acknowledge isn't the right word, revere is probably the right word, how good we've had it. People my age, pushing 40, soon to be 39, pushing 40, who started watching football in the early 90s and didn't suffer through the 70s and 80s where things were really bad, and we basically came to know football as Brett Favre and Ron Wolf and Mike Holmgren, that whole era, that renaissance was coming to be. We have only known Hall of Fame quarterback play, with a few exceptions. The Rodgers injury years where we waded through Seneca Wallace and Scott Tolzien and then brought back Matt Flynn. There are some years in there where things weren't great, where we got a taste of what it was like. But for the most part, over 30 years or 31 years, it's been Hall of Fame quarterback play. That's not lost on us. The, the lectures that were being doled out seem to think that Packers fans aren't aware or don't appreciate how good we've had it. We appreciate how good we've had it. I think other fan bases might not appreciate how hard it is to have Hall of Fame quarterback play and then not see it reach its end. You know, a lot of fans of other teams will say, God, you guys don't know how good you've had it. I would kill to be in the playoffs every year and winning a division every year and having Hall of Fame quarterback play. And you know what? That's probably true. But one thing that you're not mentally prepared for is – Every bit of playoff heartbreak where you're staring catatonically at a TV for hours at a time as another season has ripped your heart out in the NFC Championship game or in the divisional round. You know, Pat, other fans of other teams think that it would be great to be in the playoffs every year and do that whole song and dance. And maybe for them, because it's been a struggle, it would be. But you don't know that part of it either, where in 2014, Brandon Bostic with his Christmas ham hands takes a trip to the Super Bowl away from you. Where in 2016, 
Ladarius Gunter is trying to defend prime Julio Jones and you get smoked in Atlanta. And in 2020, when Tom Brady throws three interceptions in the second half and you can't capitalize on that, those fan bases don't know what that's like in mid to late January, early February. So we appreciate, we know how good we've had it. And the other part of the rant KB went on talked about how we just expect the next quarterback is going to be a Hall of Fame quarterback because that's how good we've had it. I don't know that anybody expects that. We don't know what to expect from Jordan Love. We're optimistic. I'm always optimistic, sometimes to a fault. We like some of the things we've seen, at least recently, and especially against Philadelphia last year. But we don't know. I don't think there's an expectation among Packer fans, the majority of Packer fans, that we're just going to we're just gonna have another Hall of Fame quarterback. The way that those national voices are making us sound, I don't believe we feel that way. We are just excited to see what this offense looks like with Jordan Love, what the team and the franchise looks like with Jordan Love and Christian Watson and this youth movement now offensively. We're excited to see what that is, and we are ready for potentially that not working out. Most Packer fans I know, most of my buddies, we're hopeful that this is going to go well, but we also know realistically there's a good chance that it doesn't go well. Just the portrait that was painted of Packer fans by KB, the KBs of the world and the other national voices of us seemingly not understanding how good we've had it and then having this unrealistic expectation that every quarterback is going to be a Hall of Fame quarterback, none of that is true at all. And if you have a Hall of Fame quarterback and you go, what is it, 11 years or 12 seasons since the 2010 Super Bowl championship and you're not able to even make a return trip and you just get your heart stabbed every time you get into the playoffs? That's another side of the fence that those fan bases are maybe not prepared for. We'll see what happens, but I just thought, gosh, it was just such a week where it felt like those national voices or fans from other fan bases were really talking down to Packer fans and acting like we don't understand how good it's been for 30 years and how we don't have this unrealistic expectation of Jordan Love. We just we don't know what he's going to be. We're hopeful, but we don't know what he's going to be, and we won't know what he's going to be really until at least the end of this year and maybe even the end of the next couple of seasons. But the standoff continues between the Jets and Packers. I did read a rumor, and who knows what's being leaked by who. It wouldn't shock me if this is true. The Packers are asking for, according to this rumor, the 13th overall pick, the Jets' first-round pick this year, another pick, whether that's a third or a fourth rounder, something a little bit later, and then probably a player. It seems likely that Jets wide receiver Corey Davis is going to be a part of this deal, otherwise they would have cut him already. But the likelihood then is you're looking for the first-round pick, another pick, and then you probably get Corey Davis in return for Aaron Rodgers. The Jets are balking at giving the Packers that 13th overall pick this year, and that's where we're at. It just That's the two guys staring at each other and who is going to be willing to make a move or who's going to be willing to acquiesce a little bit. I don't know. I still think the Packers have the leverage here because when you look at leverage to me, it always boils down to what side is most fearful of the worst-case scenario. The worst-case scenario for the Packers is that they don't do the trade, they can't agree on compensation, and you end up at training camp with Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love in a quarterback competition. It would be a bit awkward. Do we think Aaron Rodgers, though, if it came to that, if it came to June or July and there still wasn't trade, do you think Rodgers would report to training camp just to stick it to the Packers, or would he stay away? I don't know. I don't know what would happen there. But if you're dreaming the worst-case scenario, Rodgers shows up in July, and now you've got your up-and-coming new franchise quarterback, Jordan Love, competing with a four-time MVP, where either way you kind of win as a fan base, I guess. 
uh, unless you're just going to force Aaron Rodgers to be a $60 million backup. But that, to me, is the worst-case scenario. You get to July, and you've got a four-time MVP and your next franchise quarterback in a quarterback competition for the upcoming year. The Jets' worst-case scenario is they've already paid Alan Lazard $40 million or whatever that contract ends up being. They brought in Nathaniel Hackett. They're making all these moves to make Aaron Rodgers comfortable. They've gotten their fan base hyped up for a four-time MVP to come, the best quarterback they will have had or acquired since Favre in 2008. I'm trying to think. Am I missing anybody in there? Joe Flacco? (laughs) I don't know. There's somebody I'm missing there for the Jets. But that fan base is all hyped up thinking that this is basically going to happen. And their backup plan is Zach Wilson, who has proven he can't do it, at least so far, unless there's some breakout coming there. Their worst-case scenario is worse than the Packers' worst-case scenario, which has allowed the Packers to be able to sit back and just wait and see how things play out because the Packers aren't in a rush. Clearly, if you get past the draft this year, you don't get to capitalize on any picks this year that you would be getting or will be getting from the Jets. But we've also discussed there's that June 1st cutoff date where the Packers would have a lot less of a dead cap hit if they trade Rodgers after June 1st. It's another reason the Packers are not in a rush to do anything. I just feel like the Packers' worst-case scenario looks a whole lot better than the Jets' worst-case scenario, which to me, in my unbiased opinion as a Packer fan, where's that Packer clip again? Can I clip that back up? No, here we go. Do anything for the Packers. All right. That that part of my brain, that unbiased part, thinks the Packers have a little more leverage just because of that worst-case scenario situation. Well, we'll see if anything happens in the near term. doesn't feel like it's going to, does it? When is the draft? I don't even know. Is it mid-April this year? I'm not set on what those dates are. I would guess mid to late April. There could be another three or four weeks that go by here without anything happening on that trade front. All right, college hoops. We're recording this on Friday morning. So Thursday night, three of those four games were just tremendous. It's this time of year now where the cream rises to the top and you get the really good team starting to square off and the basketball is just so entertaining. Last night's Kansas State-Michigan State game, high level. We talked on the last podcast about how some of the entertainment value of college basketball is in the mistakes those kids make. The turnovers, sloppy play, traveling violations, all the missed shots, the 10-minute droughts. That's a part of the entertainment value. Well, that game between Kansas State and Michigan State was high level. People were protecting the basketball. People were making shots. That point guard for Kansas State, 19 assists. Some of the passes he was making – You didn't even realize there was a guy there until he was able to thread a needle. They had that play where he was fake arguing with his head coach on the sideline, which seemed to kind of baffle the Michigan State defense or mesmerize them to the point where he then whipped a pass inside as he's still staring at his coach for an easy two. He was just a conductor out there, the maestro. Call me the maestro. He was awesome to watch. Michigan State is so hard to kill this time of year. They get it to overtime. Eventually, Kansas State wins the game. That was entertaining. Florida Atlantic, the nine seed onto the Elite Eight. That was an entertaining game with Tennessee. And then the nightcap, my wife Lindsay has Gonzaga as her champion. We're both in the same bracket pool. My bracket has been DOA, has been dead for a long time. My bracket died at 5 o'clock day one on Thursday with Arizona as my champion. But she has three of her final four are still in the running, and she has the Zags as her champion. We're in a pool with 205 or 210 people, so there's going to be a pretty good payout here if she can finish number one or top three or top four or top five, something like that. But she has three of her final four still alive, and the Zags are her champion. And if you've been in bracket pools before, you know 
if your champion wins, you're likely going to be in the money because the points increase as every round goes by. So I believe she gets 32 points if the Zags do win the title, and then obviously nobody else would get those points other than the two or three. I think it's two other people of the 205 or 210 that have Gonzaga as their champion. We're watching that game first half. Zags are down by 13. They storm back uh, with Drew Timmy Timmy in the second half. They get the lead. They're up by eight with a minute left. Looks like it's signed, sealed, delivered, and then college basketball happens. They turn the ball over. They miss four free throws in a row. UCLA comes back. They're knocking down threes. When you're down late in college basketball, it's almost better in some ways because you feel like the pressure has been lifted and those teams that are down start to make shots more. UCLA gets in front, and then that Gonzaga guard with 10 seconds left or 8 seconds left pulling up from the logo 30 feet away or 32 or 33 feet away drills a three. UCLA had a good look at the end to tie it but couldn't hit it and Gonzaga moves on to the Elite Eight. That was a really entertaining game as well. We're back at it today. The only blowout was the Arkansas matchup. Arkansas got blown up by UConn. Back at it today, just based on the matchups on paper, I don't know that today, if you're listening to this on Friday morning or Friday before the games, I'm not sure it's going to be quite as entertaining as last night was. You've got pretty big point spreads. Alabama, eight-point favorite against San Diego State. Miami-Houston, I think could be a pretty good game. If I was going to lay money on that, and I'm probably going to, Miami plus eight, that's a lot of points. Miami's a pretty good team, and Houston has been winning, but... Not as handily as they had been earlier in the year. Then you've got the 15 seed Princeton. That's kind of lost in the sauce a bit. A 15 seed is in the Sweet 16, and that they win, they could be in the Elite Eight. Last year when, what team was it? St. Peter's? When they made that run to the Elite Eight, it felt like that was the number one headline. It sort of feels like we've had so many higher seeds move on that a 15 seed in Princeton in the Sweet 16, and if they win tonight in the Elite Eight, is just becoming more commonplace? I don't know. It doesn't feel like it's talked about a whole lot. Creighton is a 10-point favorite against Princeton, and then I think probably the best matchup of the night will be the last one, number three, Xavier, number two, Texas. Texas is a four-point favorite there. But we're loaded up again. Elite Eight matchups coming up on Saturday, and we're a week away from Final Four weekend. With that Michigan State exit, the Badgers are the last Big Ten team dancing as they are into the NIT Final Four. Greg Gar did it. Got him to a Final Four. Not the Final Four we wanted, but the Final Four will take. Hey, that was a nice win against Oregon on Tuesday. Hard court to look at, like a 3D art painting. My eyes. But they take advantage of the Ducks not having three of their starters. The Ducks, even without those starters, though, had a ton of seven-footers inside. That gave the Badgers a whole host of problems. When the Badger offense has been good this year, and I use that term good very loosely, very haphazardly, it's been when Tyler Wall and Steven Crowell are scoring on the inside. Well, that's pretty tough to do when they've got two or three seven-footers in there deflecting and blocking shots. Credit to Tyler Wall. He got a lot of his shots blocked, but then he also found his way out of it with six assists. That's a lot for a forward in college basketball. Badgers were down eight with eight minutes left. Felt like at that point it was probably over, but they get up off the deck. For some reason, Oregon goes to his own defense when their regular man-to-man defense had been working all game. Badgers capitalize on that. Klesman hits a big three. Hepburn hits a big three. And they get a nice road win against a quality team. And as we've said throughout this run for the Badgers, I never saw any harm in them continuing to play. They're playing better. Steven Crowell is playing more aggressively. Chucky Hepburn seems to be making better decisions. And they're just earning 40 more minutes. 40 more minutes. They are in Vegas on Tuesday. Full week off. They won in Oregon on Tuesday. They don't play again until this coming Tuesday in Vegas for the semifinals. They take on North Texas. North Texas actually scores at a lower rate than the Badgers. 
It pains me to bet the under, but the under seems like the proper play for this matchup on Tuesday. And look, if they win the NIT championship, does that make the season a success? No. I saw some poll on Badger Twitter that was asking, I think it was a Badger and Marquette page going back and forth, and somebody put a poll up, would you rather get beaten in the second round of the NCAA tournament or win the NIT championship? And I saw another poll that said, would you rather win the NIT or lose in a play-in game in the NCAA championship? And the answer is lose in the play-in game. You want to be in the NCAA tournament. There's no form of winning the NIT or winning the CBI or winning another March tournament that's not the NCAA tournament that would be better than just making the NCAA tournament. That's my opinion. Maybe people feel differently, but... I don't know that winning the NIT championship makes this season successful. It's still a letdown of a year. But as we said on, what day is it today? On Monday's podcast, if you're going to be in the NIT, you may as well win the damn thing. I mean, if you're going to play the games, you may as well win them. If you've got two teams on the court, you may as well win that game. That seems to be the mentality that the Badgers are taking. And we'll see if it can take them to an NIT championship. Again, North Texas, I believe they are the first game on Tuesday. We'll probably talk more about that on Monday, but I believe it's a 6 p.m. tip time for the Badgers in North Texas on Tuesday. And the Bucks start two pretty big road games tonight. They got the blowout win against the Spurs, a win they had to have at home. It was tight in the first half, but the Bucks go on a 15-2, flip the switch run at the end of the first half. Bucks Twitter was just about ready to have a meltdown with how poorly they were playing in the first quarter and a half on Wednesday. And they literally flip the switch, go on a 15-2 or 16-2 run at the end of the first half, take a commanding lead. They never look back. They win 130-94 to against just a horrible Spurs team. What is Greg Popovich doing in San Antonio still? I can't imagine. He must really love basketball because that has been a bad team now for two years, and they're really bad this year. Maybe they get the first pick and they get the French kid, Webignana, or however you say his name, that seven foot four kid who can knock down threes and score inside. He is the prized possession of this upcoming draft. Maybe they get the number one pick and get him, and that reinvigorates Pop. But Pop has all the rings. He's a Hall of Famer. He's got the gold medals from USA Basketball. He's 74 years old. Why? At 74 years old in the twilight of your life, with all that he's accomplished, why are you sitting on the bench night in, night out with a 20-win team? I can't fathom it, but he must love basketball. Has to love it. Or is hoping for that number one pick to maybe get them going back in the right direction as a franchise. Maybe maybe they don't get the number one pick in the draft lottery and then he retires on the spot. But I can't imagine why he would still be wanting to do this with all of the rings that he won in the Tim Duncan era and all the respect that he's garnered, probably a top five coach all time. Why is he still doing it with that team? Uh, the Bucks get the win, and now it's just a math game. You've got, I think, 12 games left or 11 games left. They've got a three-game loss column lead on both Philly and Boston. So there is some breathing room there. As we've talked about, you've got the showdown with Boston and Pfizer Forum on Thursday, this upcoming Thursday. That will determine the season series. The Sunday after that, you've got the Sixers in town. That's the last matchup of the Sixers. If the Bucks can win that, they will split the four-game season series with Philadelphia. Two major games on the horizon. But you're just trying to get to that point with as much cushion as you can. They are in Utah tonight. The Bucks in their last 20 games are 1-19 and in Utah. It's just a tough place to play. The Jazz were supposed to be a rebuilding team this year. But sometimes this happens in the NBA where you are a rebuilding team and you put some veterans on there that end up having breakout years with more playing time or in a different system or with less pressure. 
They're a team that was supposed to be like the Spurs, a 15-win team, a 20-win team, but here they are, a game under 500, fighting for a playoff spot at the bottom part of the Western Conference. Uh, the Bucks have not had a ton of success there. It's 8 o'clock tonight. Then you've got the matchup in Denver with the number one team in the Western Conference and Nikola Jokic and that whole crew. That's tomorrow, Saturday, also at 8 o'clock. I think you're okay if you split these. Obviously, you want to win every game. Obviously, you'd love to get both wins. But tonight, to me, is almost more important than tomorrow. You want to beat this Utah team. The Bucs are 10-point favorites. They're not going to have Middleton, it doesn't sound like tonight, but still... Even without Middleton, they should have enough weapons to beat this Jazz team as a 10-point favorite. If you can win tonight, then you take the pressure off of tomorrow. And if you lose in Denver, you lose in Denver. As we said, they've got that three-game loss column cushion. They can afford a loss here or there. They put themselves in that position. Now, if you lose to Utah tonight, then there is a ton of pressure in a difficult environment against an MVP candidate and a team that is a championship contender. If you lose in Utah, the pressure becomes far greater tomorrow in Denver. That's to me why you always want to beat the best at their place, nationally televised game under that spotlight on a Saturday night. But to me, the Utah game tonight is so much bigger because it eases the pressure of tomorrow if you can win tonight. But it's a difficult two-game Stretch. Then the Bucks have a few winnable games before they've got Boston at Fiserv on Thursday. Boston has a pretty easy schedule the rest of the way. They've got a few games that are going to give them issues, but for the most part, a lot of winnable games. But again, with that three-game cushion, Boston would pretty much have to go 11 and one, and the Bucks would have to go what then? 10 and four or nine and four? Which I'm not sure I see that happening, or nine and three or whatever it is. I don't know that I see that happening, but if the Bucks have a difficult weekend this weekend, then maybe you lose to Boston on Thursday. Things could tighten up. Just you got to take care of what you can take care of. Even without Middleton, tonight is a game you should win on the road in Utah. It's a big one. 8 o'clock tip time, and we're only two weeks away now, two and a half weeks away from playoff basketball. And finally today, the Brewers, I know we said on Monday we're going to talk about some futures bets for the Brewers. We may do that on Monday, this coming Monday, because it's opening week next week. Bucks or Bucks, Brewers at Wrigley on Thursday for the opening series of the year. They haven't announced their starter yet. Corbin Burns clearly, I would say, is going to be that guy on Thursday. Hey, how about Corbin Burns hiring Scott Boris? <laughs> He's gone. He is gone. We thought he was gone with the way that whole arbitration thing went, and then he hires Scott Boris. I, have the Brewers ever successfully signed a superstar that is a Scott Boris client? I don't know. Maybe? I don't know. I don't think so. But that just puts the pressure more on having to make a run this year because if you now have accepted the fact that you're not going to re-sign Corbin Burns and maybe you're not going to re-sign Willie Adamas and maybe you're not going to re-sign Brandon Woodruff and they're all on the same timeline, that means if you're not re-signing any of them, you really do have to trade them this offseason. And really, if you start poorly, their value will never be higher than it will be at the deadline this year. Hopefully the Brewers will be in first place or they'll have a successful first half and that will take that out of the equation. Although who knows, they were in first place last year and traded Josh Hader. But if you are not re-signing any of them, you must trade them at the offseason, this offseason before next year, which really puts the clamps down on this year. You have to find a way to make a run this year. But it all starts on Thursday. I will tease it with this. The over-under on season wins with Vegas is 85 and a half. So an 86-win year would pay. 
They are even money to make the playoffs, which means Vegas does sort of view them as a fringe playoff team, paying one-to-one. We'll talk about all that. There are some other bets we can lay down, some futures bets for the Brewers, but we'll talk about that on Monday. Baseball next week, everybody. Have a happy, safe weekend. We'll chat with you on Monday.